This is the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. Today's part one of a live discussion at General Assembly in Santa Monica covering all things social media. It's a deep dive, and we'll be listening to Serena Ehrlich, Director of Social and Evolving Business at BusinessWire, and Jeremy Pepper. His title is Lord of the Realm for Public Relations and Social Media. Let's join the conversation underway. Hi, everyone. My name is Serena Ehrlich. I am the Director of Social and Evolving for Business Wire. So I work for Newswire. I've been in the news industry. My first job out of college was advertising for Dow Jones. So my entire life has really been looking at how information is consumed and how things like mobile, how things like social networks, how evolutionary changes like the internet affecting people under the age of 37 you guys and your knowledge and your smarts, uh, how, how communication works. And so what I'm here to do is talk with Jeremy about uh, kind of the best ways to amplify your social programming. My Twitter handle is Serena. I am not Serena Williams, but she has a sister named Venus. I have a brother named Jupiter. <laughs> so I'm just saying there's a little something there. Is that 30 seconds? And feel free to tag my company, BusinessWire, as well, if you do something really smart, because then they, they congratulate me. Uh, my name is Jeremy Pepper. I've been in public relations and social media marketing and community aspects of it for about 20 years. And I always enjoy when people say, but it wasn't around. And yeah, it was. Because um, there were a lot of online communities that I was working with for Kodak that were both Usenet and they had their own, what would now be blogs, they had their own sites that were very, very active with enthusiasts. Um, and I've known Serena since 1999-ish. Seriously, and ask him how we met. I don't remember. <laughs> An online chat group, Young PR Pros. Oh yeah, it was a Young P well, I thought it was something creepier. No. Um, it, was, it was Young PR <laughs> that story Pros. That later. Yeah, that's a later story when she got divorced. Um, <laughs> She, it was a Young PR Pros, it was actually a very active group where there's a lot of people that you know their names now that were part of the founding or early days, but we don't talk about the past. Anyways, very excited to be here. We're doing this sort of more like a coffee, kitsch, clatch, talk, the, and I'll make a reference that no one will get, the Gore Vidal, we have Buckley, debates. Minus the punching. But you can still call me a Nazi. Yeah, there's um, going to be a lot of name calling, you guys. And really what we're going to do is, I have the topics in the hand that were off on the Eventbrite. We're going to name the topic, we're going to start, I'm going to scream no at her like the McLaughlin group, and say she's wrong, and then I will give no real reason why. And what we would love is if you guys are engaged with us. So if we're talking about something that you actually tactically implement, or you've done and we're wrong, don't tell us. <laughs> No, uh, we'd love for you to raise your hand and share as well, because we really want you guys, everybody to walk out of here kind of smarter than we came in. All right, I'll stop now. Okay, so right, we're going to jump right into it and talk about aspirations. That was actually third, but we think it's more important to start with that. Social is very aspirational. So what are... How do you fulfill the user aspirations with social updates? Sure. So everybody here in this room has heard this, somebody say to you, you can't put the same message on Twitter as you would on Facebook. And honestly, what that means to a lot of people is you just rearrange the words. Well, okay, it's not the same, but it kind of is the same. 
The reality is, is that people utilize every single social network differently. And you can honestly from there say that people will approach each one differently by their own demographics. But the reality is, is that the reason I'm on Twitter is really different than the reason I'm on Facebook or the reason I'm on Instagram. Each of these platforms drive to a particular aspiration. LinkedIn, so does everybody know that you guys now get emails whenever you publish a news release or you're mentioned in a news article? LinkedIn is now scraping the web and emailing you that you made the news and emailing everyone you're connected to to let them know you made the news. And that was part of one of their acquisitions that they did last year. And it's professional, it's professional competition. Because I promise you, when I get that note and Jeremy's in an article, I'm like, I want to be in an article. I want to do that. So what LinkedIn is doing is they're training us, or they're, they're inspiring us, as they call it. But really, they're trying to trigger us. It's for professional aspirations. So if you had content that you wanted to get more visibility on LinkedIn or more activity, write your status update to professional aspiration. Well, if you read this, it'll do better. And I'm going to throw a curve on that. So what about the people on LinkedIn that are posting memes that oh. really are not business oriented or and because mm. um, okay Brian Solis went off on a rant on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago like god damn it and I don't know if he really oh, said god we damn curse. It. oh yeah we curse by the way but that's PR and marketing um he went off on a rant like god damn it I don't want to see the anniversary updates people are like they're a waste of time I laugh like I'd, I'd rather see the anniversaries from jobs because but I don't care about birthdays so, you know, LinkedIn, you know, sometimes we all log into LinkedIn and we see this kind of inappropriate photo or this joke. And honestly, how many of us are like, why is that here? Like, this just does not fit here. And how LinkedIn, many of you, you try to, to, try to unlink to that person, then give up because you can never figure out where that is actually on LinkedIn? So what happened is LinkedIn actually, they actually launched that service and the user base went nuts. So my friend Leela was actually kind of in the loop on this. She was one of the people who launched this con and they were trying to make it the Friday fun office day. Like we're all gonna get together and celebrate work by being all cheery and sharing that. And it failed miserably because it didn't match the aspiration. I am not going to LinkedIn for a joke, for humor, for a funny video to see little baby, like little baby mini pigs run around, which is my favorite new video. Um, I'm not doing that. I am there to make sure that I am building my reputation to get my next job. I left my job. Um. But that's not the aspiration. So now think about when you're writing the same piece of content and you're putting it out there and you're just changing words slightly. Imagine what if you actually sat down and said, why, are, why is my audience on here? You know what, my business wire, we're a newswire service, so we share best practices in PR. So if I want something adopted on LinkedIn, I will tell people, if you don't read this, you will be fired. So actually, going to, jumping into that though, so we, we, we were covering LinkedIn. We haven't really hit Facebook or oh, Twitter. Yeah. Um, let me make a comment about Facebook, because even though we're not supposed to use the same messaging for Twitter and Facebook, I worked for an insurance company as a contractor, and all the research showed that anything longer than 80 characters or 100, 80 to 100 characters got the best um, engagement. Shorter posts. Shorter posts. And, well, and everybody knows it's photos and all it's live video and we'll get into live video issues in a second. So, um, so that's great. So it's actually, we'll go with both, with separate. So Twitter. The aspiration on Twitter is to be the first, the funniest, the most clever, or the smartest. Or troll. 
or a troll. But a troll is even showcasing your smarts, right? Yes, there are instigators. And we'll, I'm, le I'm kind of leaving those out right now, although really you always have to be prepared. But if you think about it, earthquake happens in Los Angeles. I go to Twitter because I want to see, A, was it really an earthquake? And if no one else is writing about it, I'm going to be the first one to post earthquake, right? Uh, when I look to retweet information, I retweet things with statistics in it. Most people do. People look to see, so you have to look and see why is your audience on Twitter. Now, Twitter uh, has very different audiences. And is it just, is it, years ago I know, got in a fight with an analyst and said, like, it's just a freaking customer service platform, why would I ever buy ads on it? So Twitter, the reality is, is that people do not like to talk about the true demographics of Twitter because it's not white. Advertising friendly. So, advertising friendly. So what we have here is you have to realize who your audience is, right? So your social networks, you have to activate, but you also have to do programming. You know, we talked about Denny's a long time ago, did that great, weren't they the ones who did uh, long form stories on Twitter? They did long form stories and they were very Bay-ish. And they did a really good job of engaging their audience on Twitter. They didn't write in my voice, but I'm not their tar target audience. But the people on Twitter who are looking, you just have to know your aspiration of the user. You have to really sit down and say, every, like for example, somebody, whoever built this phone, when somebody said, who's your audience of this phone, they said everybody, right? And the PR person threw up and said, that's not an answer. You cannot say everybody. Break it down for me, right? And then they said women. And you're like, that's great. Let me tell you that there's more than one type of woman, right? So the user of this phone, the, rat, the reason I use this phone is very different than why Jeremy uses this phone. I, and I use an Android because I'm cheap. So you have to think about your user aspiration. Why did I pick this product? And you have to really sit down when you're thinking about writing social. And you have to really sit down and think about who your specific audiences are. Facebook has one of the greatest free tools for this ever, and nobody uses it. Look, go to your brand update. You can't do it on mobile. There's a Periscope button. If you don't see the Periscope button, because they took it away, you have to go into settings, and you may have to reset it. You click on that and you literally, it allows you to take your own fan page, your existing fans, and craft demographic-based updates. So if I'm launching this phone, I will go in and maybe create 20 different audiences for free, my own audiences, my own fan base, and 20 different messages. Well, so, let's wait, so let me just one more thing. The reason you want to do this is not because you want to write messaging that aligns and it makes me happy. Facebook's only going to show your content. Twitter's only going to show your content to a set number of people. It's an algorithmic-based product. When you create an update so customized that I liked it, I will share it. And my share will beat Facebook's algorithm. So you want the share, and the only way to get the share is to write for the consumer. So don't think, but you've got to write to their aspiration. And this, we had brunch two weekends ago to talk about what we're going to talk about here. But this goes, I'm feeding you the, the comment that we made at brunch, which was the targeting is perfect for advertising. Oh, it's terrific for advertising. I mean, if you really think about it, and again, when it comes to amplification of content, you want to look at paid and post. And it's funny because when people think about buying ads, they get to think about more customization. When PR people think about pitching different types of reporters, they craft a different pitch for each type. But in social media, we tend to still craft only a modification of the existing update, and we really have to craft it. There's no AB, there's, despite the fact that there's the ability to do A-B testing on especially Facebook, 
there seems to be very little A-B testing done out there. Right. And if you, um, if you run a group page, one of the two, um, you'll be able to dig down into the advertising. I run the, both the pages for Social Media Club. It's competition, so I want, that's all I'll say. But I've actually set up various advertising um, demographics for different events. And each time I, I do an event, I will do it advertising to that, that demographic. It's always Los Angeles and greater Los Angeles, but it's always male or female. And it, I, depending on how I feel, I will craft different statements and messages. Right. And the concept is, is that you've got to craft that personalization. So the problem with, with most of us who work is that that's a lot of time. Oh. oh. Microphone, sorry. <laughs> so used to talking. Um, the problem with that is, is that if you work in an agency, nobody's given you the time to do this, right? You get time for social. Do you really have time to craft updates? Not only a different update by each platform, but a different on update by each audience. And I think that this is where pricing has to change. That's also, and I think um, years ago I was at an interview and the guy was like, I planted my stick in the sand, flag in the sand for so Facebook advertising because ad agencies aren't doing them. It's like, because there's no money. But I think, there's, I think that's sort of part of what's happening is like, if you're doing advertising on Facebook, it's still not the big bucks, so you're not getting the big buck, big buck budget. Yeah, and I think that what you'll see is as you start doing more aspirational messaging, and we just talked about those, but let's talk about Instagram. The aspiration for Instagram is fame. How do we know that that's the aspiration? Because the only things you can do on, to somebody on Instagram is like, comment, or repost. And follow. And follow. And when a brand likes me, when I get a note from a brand after I've tagged them in a photo and they say, thank you so much, or can we repost this? And they repost it, and I get 7,000 likes. I feel like the master. By the way, I am the master. What did they just do? Simple act for them. So this is why a lot of companies, big companies like IBM, they do it for employee rewards. If you're an employee, you take a photograph and you tag your, your company hashtag, and then they can re reward employees with, with uh, reposts. It's the largest growing social media platforms are the employment engagements like Dynamic Signal, and that's the only one I always remember. But there's, there's a few of them out there that becoming more and more important because of the amplification and rewards. Absolutely, Reddit. Reddit wants information. They want unvarnished information. So you know what Reddit themselves are doing? They're creating brand pages. They're coming out and working with brands and with publishers to directly publish into Reddit to create a more transparent way that that can happen. Do we want to go back to Instagram for a second? Sure. Um, we were talking with Mike Prasad, Wave, and um, we're talking about boost groups and the loops on Instagram. And is everyone aware of, if you don't, just kind of say I don't, but aware of what a boost group is or a loop? Okay. Because I didn't, so. So boost groups are either group messaging on Instagram or Facebook groups. Or Twitter. Or DM to 20 people now. Actually, yeah, I can DM to 20 people on Twitter. It's where you post the link and say, everybody go like it and comment. So it's basically like everybody in this room could create a group where you say, listen, if your content's relevant to my audience, post it here and I'll retweet it out for you for free. Or just and even, you do or, the same or just for even like, no, or I'll just like even it for it. you, I'll share it, I'll comment. But I'll create that engagement that helps jumpstart the program because once engagement happens, you start beating out of technical algorithms. These aren't people necessarily trying to be sneaky, but it's really the only way to get past that algorithm. I'll get to sneaky in a second. Um, and then the loops are, and we probably, maybe I, I might follow way too many mom social media influencers, 
that's because I've done blog her and mom 2.0 and Evo and ShiftCon got too long. Um, loops are like three brands, and the example I gave was Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out, and Random Hot Dog brand that will do contests where you have to go to each one of the, plat each one of the accounts and follow and like photos, and then it, it's a large loop. So Burger King sends, says go to Chick-fil-A and like their stuff. Chick-fil-A says go to Random Hot Dog Place and like stuff. Random Hot Dog Place says goes to this. So it's where brands are literally just sharing and pushing traffic towards each other. And a lot of influencers are doing this with when they're doing their giveaways and contests. Um, it's effective. Well, and I'll leave it at that. It's effective, you know, eventually if you are hiring influencers, you're going to want to know if they're participating in this and you should feel direct about asking it and saying, do you need to participate? Because you don't know how the consumer might feel about it. Um, but, you know, our favorite channel we were talking about is Snapchat. Yeah, well, the, the one hack for Instagram that a friend of mine, she's a very, very famous LA Times profiled food blog profiled food blogger. Sarah. And she always tags her photos different locations. So one of the photos, she was doing a big avocado spread. Like, oh my God, you go to Equinox Fest LA. Like, oh no, I don't go to the gym at all. I just tag my photos. And it's funny because uh, I went to the gym on Christmas because I'm Jewish and I took a photo and there was nobody there. That photo is still getting likes every day and it's, oh, five, six months ago. Yeah, I mean, Instagram tagging things, and that's the other thing, in social networks, if you want to increase the visibility of your content, tag somebody. If you're on LinkedIn and I'm sharing a piece of content and it's from the Business Wire blog, I will tag the Business Wire blog and I'll tag the author because those tags make those people come back to my post. Oh, you tagged me? Well, let me show you. There's, yes. also, there's also just the regular hashtags. My little cousin in New York built up a, her Instagram account with her friend from nothing to where she's invited to every single restaurant opening in the city now. Wow. And Those also because the account, the account's so, just totally twisted. And so, yeah, hashtags, do, don't use hashtags on Facebook. Michelle, where are you? Michelle, actually, you were the one who, who told us that tip, that your agency tested and found that using hashtags on Facebook decreased the visibility of your posts. Yeah, so don't use hashtags on Facebook for, for content visibility. And I'll, I'll repeat what she said so we can get it in the podcast. Hashtags are clickable now on LinkedIn. A funny irony about that, because I bitched to them, is they took away that box when you write articles to automatically post hashtags. So it's like they made them clickable, but then they made it really, they took away the ease of it. And well, let's talk about other platforms. Um, Forget that. Yeah. Okay. Snapchat. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna crap on Serena on this one first. I used to mentor college kids because they were fun, and it was because I'm old and I want to know what they're thinking. I'm also immature, so it also worked out really well. And then I get invited to the weddings, which is always fun. They got me on Snapchat when it launched, and this was this wasn't like a California school. This was like Georgia. And so I was asked, I asked the girl, like, why do you, what are you, well, she's now a woman, what are you posting on Snapchat? These are the photos we would never post on Facebook. Then Serena. It's unvarnished truth, baby. Poo-pooed on it. It's like, it's all for sexting. And I would always say, like, you're just projecting. 
and I we have different siblings. I mean, my nieces and nephews were having a different experience. No, um, you know, Snapchat. So here's the thing, right? Snapchat is this incredibly fast-growing platform, and I at BusinessWire, a business news distribution service, and we do entertainment news, but you know, it's news. People ask me every day, are we going to be on Snapchat? The average person on Snapchat has 15 friends. Snapchat's, that's why the metrics are so quiet, is that they don't really share those metrics. The other thing is, is that the aspiration on, on Snapchat is unvarnished truth. My nieces, when they put a picture up on Facebook or they put a picture up on any other social network, Instagram, it is their best looking photo you have ever seen. I mean, or it's a, it's a delightful photo. There's something about that photo that's really, because they're, they're driving for the likes and they're posing for their friends. Every time I post a status update on any network or a photo of myself on any network or pin something on Pinterest, I'm creating my, my virtual reputation. So when I put a photo up on Facebook, I want it to look a particular way because I want you guys to think something about me, right? Snapchat was the first channel that allowed kids not to do that. And it was their pressure release. It was, the, everything else was about the likes and how many people like this. And even if my niece didn't care about the likes, her best friend cared about the likes, it was about that. So Snapchat was where they could literally just be jerks. Also, and they could also break the rules and all that. But it really was about unvarnished truth. And I think part of it, because this is my theory that I should have written as a post, they, these kids saw their p older peers getting so much crap for Instagram and Facebook for posting stuff publicly that they wanted a pseudo-anonymous platform, a pseudo-disappearing platform. Well, yes, and I will say the other side of this, that, I, I, that the aspiration on this, Snapchat is a visual, 100% visual platform. The, today's younger kids, you know, visual intelligence is growing, verbal intelligence is decreasing. The average SAT score in the United States for English is, is in the 400s. It's not passing even. It's in the 400s, and we are, a 63% of the world learn by visuals. They don't even learn by text. I learn by text. You give me a book, you make me watch a video, I will punch you in the nose. Videos are people telling me what to do, and I had enough of that growing up. So I don't like video. My sister is 100% visual. She's dyslexic. So video, yeah, I need therapy. Vid video's her bang. So when you realize that the world is speaking in visuals, that was the other side of Snapchat. I could text Jeremy and tell him I'm bored, or I could send him a photo of my cute little face showing how bored I am and why I'm bored. And, and so it was it also just, the real birth of true visual conversations, one-on-ones. And, and as an aside, who, who uses Bitmoji? Who remembers when Bitmoji launched and the only people using it were moms, so it was like the uncoolest thing in the world, <laughs> but then Snapchat bought it and integrated it immediately into Snapchat, so now everybody's using it. And who's still bored by the fact that the snap, those bitmojis are really, really vanilla? There's nothing interesting that they're doing. That's next. I think next we should topic? go to the next one. Um, the next bullet point was multi-platform. Did we just discuss it? Oh, the use of birth and multi-platform? Sure. Sure. So get your content on all the platforms. No. Uh, okay, so here's the reality, right? People want to learn in the format they want to learn. You just learned how I want to learn, right? You just learned, send me a, a white paper, send me text, don't send me a video. But you don't know that unless I tell you, unless you do audits on your content. Put content into Facebook, go tomorrow, 
because you've got nothing else to do. Tomorrow, go in and look at your last 30 posts on Facebook, on your brand pages, and the content type. Was it a photo? Was it a link? Was it this? Not what the content theme was, what the type was, and how many people saw it. Facebook parses content by type. So if you're creating textual content, and you go in there and you do this review and you realize that every time you put text in there or text in a photo or a link, that's your lowest engaged content, then you know your audience is a visual audience. So when it comes to multi-platform, it's really about telling the message in multiple formats. So give the person the opportunity to learn it the way they'd like. So at Business Wire, we do annual media surveys and we ask reporters what the future of news is. And they said it's New York Times, which is text. Now, we know the New York Times is moving towards visuals, yay, but it's text. And the visuals, they are, said, the, the visuals are actually doing terribly. They said for the second format type was BuzzFeed. What's BuzzFeed? Te one line of text and a really big image. They're both telling the same story. BuzzFeed News is actually a great platform, but it's most, it's visually oriented platform. Then you have the third. 33% of all searches on YouTube are for news. So you have people actively searching YouTube for information because they want to learn by video. So you have to create, think about this, you literally have to create every piece of, of content you launch in every format if you wanted mass adoption. Is this where we talk about Facebook Live? Well, actually, well, from our notes, the, fun, the interesting thing was we talked about the right social platform for your audience. Yeah. And that's, and that's very key. So part of that is Facebook Live. Facebook loves Facebook Live and is actually promoting that more to your audience after you go longer than, I think, three minutes. However, if you're following the news lately, uh, three deaths and killings on Facebook Live. Don't recommend that as a tactic. That's not cool. Yeah, Facebook Live is going to go through its thing, but the reality is it's the only way Facebook's going to alert your entire page. So legitimately, everything you do, if you are in the marketing side and you have a company that issues press releases, every launch you do, you should be doing a Facebook Live because it's free, it alerts your entire page, and you don't have to do a formal video because the format of Facebook Live, unless you look at Adobe, who does a really incredibly stylized Facebook Live videos, the format is casual. So supplement your distributions by choosing your platforms. And again, I'm not a visual person. I probably won't click in. But if it's an interesting teaser, I will click. Like, it's, it will alert me. So again, when you think about the platforms you want to use for your customer, you really just want to know who the true demographics are. Don't let your clients and don't let your managers push you into platforms where your client's not there. For me at Business Wire, our clients are communicators which makes Twitter a really active platform for us. But if your audience is not significantly on Twitter, you're not gonna to wanna to put your revenue there. Which actually leads into a great question. Yes. We've focused a lot on business to, or B2C, business to consumer. Business- so boring. Well, it's, it's, it's the bread and butter for most people. But what about B2B? B2B is the best. B2B is the greatest type of marketing you could possibly do because it really is you creating content that solves the client's pain point. But what's really funny about uh, creating content for B2B is that people tend to really think about their, you have to really think about creating content from all stages of the, the funnel, right? And then you have to figure out where, where, are, my, where are my people gonna be? And one of the things, my favorite content story was, um, was McAfee. 
McAfee. McAfee does a really great video. What they had done is they decided that they were going to do an audit of all the multimedia they had to figure out what they were missing. And they were going to align all the multimedia they had and the content they had against their customer journey, which they had never done before. And if you haven't done that, consider doing that. Sit down at the end of the year and said, we did all of these photos. What, where in our client's education process of learning about our product, because in B2B, you're selling, right? So where, did they, where are they learning? Anyway, what McAfee realized was that they were creating and promoting an enormous amount of content for people who were already well aware of the business, but they had no content and no intro social to introduce people to the business. They were tweeting as if everybody knew who they were without tweeting to explain who they are. So they created videos for this, and they have a video that every time somebody plays that video on YouTube, they get a sale. So I'm freaking out, right? They're telling me this, and I was like, I gotta know what this video is. You gotta tell me what this video is. The video was how to pronounce the company name. Because in B2B sales, nobody wants to pick up the phone and buy, spend that much money and buy a product if they can't pronounce the business name. And because McAfee's an international company, because I asked them, I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, aha, let me explain. International company. So they, people don't know if it's McAfee or McAfee. Or McAfee. So, that, well, they had, so that's what they had said. So what happened there was, is that, anyway, long story short, that was them utilizing, and it turned out it utilized YouTube, is where they found most people were searching for product information. But when it came to content, they, again, they had focused so heavily down the funnel that they weren't putting anybody through social into the, into the funnel. Well, I think the interesting thing about that is uh, if you're going to launch a company, find a name that translates into everything. Yeah. Well, no, but B2B content does really, really well. You know what? It's been a great B2B platform. Salesforce. I mean, not Salesforce. SlideShare. Slideshare. So Marsha Collier, small business uh, by uh, influencer uh, here in LA. Bought by LinkedIn also. Owned by LinkedIn. Well, let me get, yeah, I have that story. So okay. Slideshare is, so she said, Serena, I really love this deck. And the deck was um, how to do visual marketing that I had put together. And she said, let me tweet it out. I was like, great. Two tweets, 5,000 views of that deck. The retweets were outrageous. She tweeted it because it aligned with her content. But what I realized was I've had her tweet blog posts for before the blog post will get 1,000 views. It was specifically that it was a SlideShare deck because it, it said to the person who was looking at it or saw the tweet, that's gonna be textual content I can use. Those are usually tactical. So, and then what happened is LinkedIn is creating landing pages by content type. So they're pulling in existing decks and they're now promoting content decks from customers, from people in SlideShare on these landing pages. So I find that you really have to, again, think about who your, time, your audience is and then go from there. And then if you really want to get startups, Hacker News. And then, you know, again, and if you're looking Reddit, of course. Product Hunt. Product Hunt, very, those two great sources of, of social networks that uh, are very targeted. And jump off the platforms? Yeah. All right. We'll pick it up there for part two of this live discussion where we'll talk about amplification, the importance of visuals in your message, and we'll have a live Q&A from the audience. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe. You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Ice 
Fox Logic.